This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, October 18th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, an update on Sunnyside. Writing with the colors of the rainbow, a tree is worth a thousand words and a mountain weather forecast. Drive along the spur, and each day you'll see new additions to the Sunnyside housing development. Right now we're finishing up the last bits of foundations, and we are already starting to frame parts of the project. That's Telluride Project Manager Lance McDonald. We are going to be framing the four-bedroom units soon. You'll see those along the, the highway and the tiny homes. And then the last bit of framing we'll be doing is the apartment buildings, which are behind the uh, townhomes. According to McDonald, he anticipates the project finishing on schedule in May 2022, with move-in in June. Although he notes currently, they are a bit behind. Due to supply chain issues, mostly associated with the availability of micropiles as we were finishing up the micropiling process, which needed to be inserted into the ground before we do the foundational elements. He anticipates they'll be able to pick up speed during the rest of the framing process, and they're ahead of the game with elements for later in the project. We have pre-purchased appliances, solar panels, and those types of items ahead of time to ensure that those uh, items will be available when we need them. Moving forward, McDonald says people should expect to see the buildings going up. We'll be doing... Um, finishing up landscaping elements in the spring and uh, we have the to pave the road um, and those types of things I've uh, uh, paved the off ramps or the uh, deceleration lanes off the highway and but mostly what folks will see is the uh, vertical construction. The project will consist of 30 units with a mix of townhomes, apartments and tiny homes. McDonald notes the Sunnyside Committee is still working to determine who and how people will move in. The process to determine uh, occupant qualifications and how the units will be filled will be uh, conducted by the Sunnyside Committee, which is town and county representatives. That will occur in early next year as per the plan. We've always said that as we get closer to construction, and we know our true completion dates, that that's when the occupant processes would start. And those would include not only the qualifications of the, um, of the renters, but also what the rents actually would be and all those types of things. Along with the construction of the Sunnyside Project, the town of Telluride is also moving forward with phase two of the Virginia Placer development and development of the Voodoo Lounge lot. McDonald says the Telluride Housing Authority Committee plans to have conceptual plans on both projects at its November meeting, with the plan to break ground late spring, early summer next year. Red, the color of leaves in the fall, rubies, foxes, flames, and wine. Red is also the first color in the rainbow and the start of a colors writing play shop at the Wilkinson Public Library. I've wanted to do a series on color for a long time. Colors are just so much fun. That's former San Miguel County Poet Laureate Alyssa Dixon speaking from her home in Sweden. Dixon will be hosting the colors writing events. My friend Taylor Clay, who also lived in Telluride for many years, at one point said... Uh, Wouldn't that be cool if our shadows changed color with our moods? And I just thought that was the coolest comment. And 
shortly thereafter had a light bulb moment and thought, well, you know, if you can get the blues, you can probably get the yellows. Dixon says she decided to write about the yellows for a slam poem. And when I wrote it, all I did was write down like a bajillion different yellow things I could think of in the world. And it was such a fun exercise. She says there's a base nature associated to color. It just seems like such a wonderful theme to kind of ground back down after COVID. It's really carnal, our experience of it. It's very visceral. It's very sensuous. It's very, um, it's very simple, but immensely pleasurable and complex. Dixon says she's especially excited to start the program in the fall. Fall, suddenly our whole world changes color before our eyes to reds and oranges and yellows, and it stops us in our tracks because color is incredible. Starting with red for October. Fall is a red rock desert time for many in Telluride. Heading out to the desert, being out in the reds and siennas and auburns out there. Um, And of course, the leaves are all turning, often go shades of red. Of course, it's not just nature or places full of color. Red can mean stop or danger. Of course, we also know that it often represents love and passion. November will look at orange. Autumn, harvest, carrots, goldfish, apricots, and amber. Yellow is the color of December. Warmth, daffodils, lions, ducklings, cheerfulness, and jealousy. January is green, February blue, purple for March, April looks at white, May is time for black, elegance and sophistication, darkness and evil, cats, coal, licorice, and ravens. When it comes to what the classes will look like, Dixon says there will be a poem or two for inspiration and simple writing prompts to get the creativity flowing. But a very important thing in my class is... People can write whatever types of writing they prefer. So when it's time to write, if you like journaling, if you like uh, nonfiction, writing about an experience you had in the past in a accurate or nonfiction way, that's awesome. Um, if you're a poet, great. It's really just a chance to let the words flow. Dixon calls her classes play shops rather than workshops for the simple reason. Play shops are quite simply a chance to play, to reconnect to the joy of expressing yourself and just writing, just seeing what comes out. I write to fall in love with the world again every day, and I hope that this Color Play Shops can can be that as we have emerged back out into the world from from the COVID womb. And just what better way to fall in love with the world than through the beauty of the rainbow. The first Colors Writing Play Shop will take place on Wednesday, October 20th at 10 a.m. via Zoom, with a focus on red. The Play Shops will take place once a month through May 2022, Registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. If a picture is worth a thousand words, what is a picture carved in a tree worth? The Telluride Historical Museum has partnered with the AHA School for the Arts to launch an app to catalog historical arborglyphs, tree carvings, across the region. 
This summer, KOTO's Matt Hoish tagged along as museum staff headed out to the Deep Creek Trailhead to demo the app. Mary Higgins and Molly Daniel are trying to read something. S-W-O-P-E. That doesn't make any sense. Swode, swope. This is 1964. Oh. I definitely see a C in 19. Uh-huh. Yeah, I see that now. But it isn't a book or a sign or a mural. It's a tree. Specifically, carvings on a tree. Higgins and Daniel are with the Telluride Historical Museum and are part of a crew hiking around the Deep Creek Trailhead, showing me a new app the museum developed in partnership with the AHA School for the Arts to document these tree carvings, more formally known as arborglyphs. It's an interesting historic record, and we do think these are historic records of people from a bygone era. Museum Executive Director Kiernan Lannan. In this case, a lot uh, representing the agricultural and ranching history of the area, which for the museum, we just don't have a strong record of, we don't have a lot of resources on. So this is a way to kind of capture that history for us. But there are so, so many arborists in the region that we want to document them. We couldn't do it by ourselves. So we need people's help. Enter the app. The idea is users can take photos of arborglyphs in the region to help the museum catalog them. It's a pursuit that's especially important since the arborglyphs are on living things that won't be around forever. Eventually, they will go away. So if we don't document them now, it might be too late. A ways in, we find a glyph to demo the app on. It's a bit PG-13, a person with a large dent in the trunk jutting out from around the pelvic region. Nonetheless, historically significant. But before Lennon starts, he wants to make one thing very clear. It is illegal to carbon trees, so we do not want people going out and contributing to the historic record. With that, he pulls out his phone and opens the app, which lets him take a photo, attaches a rough location, and has him answer questions, such as, is the glyph visible from the trail, is there any text, and any additional comments. A person, say, wearing a hat, uh, missing a piece of vital anatomy. <laughs> Where a branch used to be. And that's about it. The museum, Lennon says, will screen the photos and make them available for public viewing. They're mostly interested in glyphs from before the mid-60s, Lennon explains. So, none of those A Hearts P or J and S Forever carvings. Shepherds or ranchers, Lennon notes, would often carve on trees for more practical reasons, like wayfinding and keeping track of sheep, since there weren't many other options. Maybe you could write it on a piece of paper and try to tuck it somewhere. That could go away, but the tree's not moving. Tree's going to be here. Really happy for the museum and AHA especially. I think this will be a great project for them. Garrett Smith has spent the last 16 or so months working on the Arborglyph app. Smith is the director of science and research at the Telluride Institute and teaches at Western Colorado University. Now that the app is nearly done, not only is Smith happy, but he says so is his wife. This is our dinner table discussion a lot of how I would get something working and then I'd come out in the field and it would not work out in the field and then I'd go home and stay up all night trying to figure out why it wasn't working out in the field. The app should go live in the near future, Smith says. Landon notes anyone interested should keep an eye on the museum's website and social media. One other aim in involving the public, he says, is for people to become more aware 
of the history around them. Everyone goes hiking around here because of the uh, absolutely immense beauty. But there's a lot of history that happened day to day right before you. It worked for Smith. Thanks to his time working on the app, he says, he sees the arbor glyphs around him more. Oh, there's one, there's one there. And you never, before it was just noise, and now you really notice it. The app, he hopes, will force people not to miss the trees for the forest. Since this story first aired, the app has officially gone live. Search for Telluride Arborglyph Collector on your smartphone's app store. Election season is in full swing, which means every day is another day to discuss the issues. The housing initiatives up for a vote this November will be the topic of discussion once again at a town hall debate this week. San Miguel County Commissioner Hillary Cooper will host the debate between representatives of 300 and 2D. There will also be time for questions from the audience. The town hall debate will take place at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, October 19th at the Sheridan Opera House. Campaign materials such as flyers or signs are prohibited. There will be free drinks. On August 28th, the internet in Mountain Village went out for hours. This week, Mountain Village's broadband team will be working to fix the software issue that led to the outage. The team will be working on the issue from Monday, October 18th to Wednesday, October 20th, with work taking place between midnight and 6 p.m. Internet users may experience brief outages during that time. We haven't even hit Halloween yet, but Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat, and registration is open for the Telluride Arts Holiday Bazaar. The Arts Bazaar is a local tradition hosted by the Telluride Arts District in collaboration with the Wilkinson Public Library and the AHA School for the Arts. The event features handmade crafts, artisan jewelry, organic body products, gourmet food, ceramics, clothing, and more from artists and artisans around the region. Registration for a booth at the bazaar is due by November 22nd. The booths are available on a first-come, first-served basis. The bazaar will take place on December 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Governor Jared Polis has activated a small National Guard unit to help protect the cybersecurity of the upcoming general election. Up to nine troops will defend sensitive voter registration information from hackers and also participate in training activities. This is the third election. The state has called on members of the National Guard to help with security. The troops will be monitoring election activity through November 4th. Election Day is November 2nd. For a lot of people in and around Telluride, one of the top issues on their minds is housing. And it's not just an issue for San Miguel County. KOTO has partnered with multiple stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at economic mobility through housing to understand how the challenge and possible solutions are playing out across the region. Today, we head to Wyoming. The Jackson Hole real estate market reported more than $1.8 billion in sales in the first half of 2021. It's a record-breaking rise in activity, similar to the experience of many mountain towns across the West. For KHOL, Will Walkie reports on a new program that's trying to capitalize on that money flowing through the valley, with the goal of investing it back into affordable housing projects. Meg Daly, whom we should note is a former KHOL reporter, grew up in Jackson Hole and what she describes as a middle-class lifestyle. 
She remembers Wilson being full of hippies and cowboys. So my family moved to Jackson from Salt Lake City in 1977, I think. Uh, Let's see. And we lived in this log cabin at the end of Wenzel Lane, which is a very fancy property now and at the time was not at all. I mean, we had like earwigs crawling out of the chinking in our log cabin. And it was, I mean, it was fine. It was a home. After a stint in Portland, Daly moved back home and was able to buy her own place in Rafter J. So I'm 52. What's happened in my lifespan and what, you know, younger people are facing now is that it's just owning a home has become more prohibitive. Daly says the log cabin she grew up in was worth $150,000 in 1984. Now, every lot on Wenzel Lane is worth at least $1 million, according to Zillow. In fact, the median sale price in Jackson Hole was over $1.6 million in the second quarter of 2021, a 28% increase from last year, according to a recent market report. These are figures Daly knows well. I've had friends and family, you know, benefit from the affordable housing program here and also, like, suffer because of our crazy real estate market. Daly's moving on to Bend, Oregon this year, looking for a bigger community and milder winters. She's also cashing in from the timing of selling her home, as she's heard many other locals have done during the pandemic. But Daly is also donating $5,000 from the sale to a new community housing fund, which launched this month. That felt like an amount that would be meaningful, um, substantial enough that if pooled with other people's money could help the housing trust and help housing effort here, and then also be manageable within our financial world. The Community Housing Fund is a new nonprofit designed to solicit donations from every real estate transaction in Jackson Hole. It was spearheaded by local realtor Devin Veeman. The goal of the program is to have realtors contributing at every transaction. So whether it's a big amount or a small amount, depending on the size of the deal, Uh, We just really want to create the culture that we're giving back something at every transaction and also invite our buyers and sellers to participate with us. Starting in late September, when a deal is closed on a home, the buyer, seller, and real estate agent all get prompts asking them if they'd like to donate to affordable housing projects around the valley. Veeman says it's an easy way for people to give back in a simple, discreet, and yes, tax-deductible way. You know, I get the question quite frequently from wealthy second, third, fourth, fifth homeowners coming here, how can I participate in the community right now? And it's, I shouldn't say it's a great segue because it's unfortunate that it's happening, but they are actually feeling the constraints of it now. Their favorite restaurants aren't open seven days a week. The services that they want, that they moved here for, they're not always open. So it kind of is a doorway for us to say, hey, it's a a housing issue, and you're going to start to feel some of these things. And so here's how you can participate right now. 22 local realtors kicked the fund off by donating a combined $150,000 to help build 24 condos in Jackson through the local Affordable Housing Trust. That's another nonprofit led by Executive Director Ann Cresswell. What our hope is, is that we will increase participants over time. We will increase the total number of gifts that go to support the creation of new affordable housing and that people will make a gift that's meaningful to them. One aspect of the program is there's no minimum amount required to contribute. So Cresswell is left hoping that folks making mammoth transactions, i.e. the ultra wealthy, will pony up. 
Well, I think what's unique about how this fund is structured is that it's an umbrella organization. The structure and the infrastructure exists with title and escrow, support from the title and escrow agencies and companies. That's what makes the giving so simple and so streamlined. It's not a perfect system, and several Jackson elected officials have pointed out that the volunteer fund won't single-handedly solve the issue of housing affordability in the Valley. A mandatory real estate transfer tax, for example, would likely raise more revenue to the tune of more than $100 million annually, according to recent proposed legislation, compared to hundreds of thousands. But Cresswell says that kind of tax isn't likely to get passed anytime soon. I have been working on affordable housing in Jackson for 18 years, and for at least 18 years, this community has been talking about a real estate transfer tax, and it is not within the control of this community. It, it has to happen at the statewide level, and this is something that we can do irrespective of the state and get this moving and get this rolling forward. For Daly, doing what she can to help right now also meant selling to another local whom she grew up with. We didn't want to just be leaving, you know, this kind of empty shell of a house. We love our community here. So this felt like a way to maybe help that continue here. The question remains, how many other volunteer donors will join Daily moving forward? Will Walkie, KHOL News. Water experts from across the West testified in front of Congress last week. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, policymakers from the federal government, seven states, and two tribes spoke about drought. One congressman described the dire water supply issues as, quote, one of the most pressing challenges we face in the 21st century. State water leaders urged collaboration between the basin's users. John Ensminger runs the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Do we double down on the promises of the last century and fight about water that simply isn't there? Or do we roll up our sleeves and deal with the climate realities of this century? Many said the river was overallocated and will not be able to support those who rely on it, including 40 million people and more than a trillion dollars of economic activity. Tribal leaders pushed the federal government to formalize a way for tribes to participate in water negotiations, citing their historical exclusion. Alex Hager, KUNC. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 50% chance of snow showers tonight with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 25 degrees. Tuesday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a high in the mid-40s and a low in the mid-20s. Wednesday, expect sunny skies with a high around 50 degrees. Wednesday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 30. This has been the news for Monday, October 18th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.